0: Welcome to Better Words, a podcast for readers who want to know the stories behind the pages. We're your hosts, Caitlin and Michelle, two book nerds who bring you
1: in-depth conversations about writing and publishing from those on the inside.
0: Basically, we're just here to talk about books.
1: We're so glad you're joining us. Hello and welcome to another episode of Better Words. Michelle, how are you? I am good. How are you? I am good. I feel like I may actually sound a little bit like I actually sound sick. Do I sound sick? A little bit, nasally. Yeah.
0: Like, <laughs> you've had a bit of a cold, haven't you? Yeah,
1: I know. I've done a couple of rant tests. So, I mean, this is and just the world we live in. I'm sure everyone can relate. You get like a bit of a runny cold. nose or yeah. an
0: actual cold and then you're like, ah... <laughs> It is, so. as other people who get hay fever will know, as well. Yeah, know. We it doesn't like, normally happen to me. <laughs> is it hay fever or am I
1: sick? Yeah, I don't know. I'm not one that normally gets sick very easily, but as of you know, now it's not COVID, but we'll see.
0: Let's hope. Let's hope it's not. Yeah. Anyway, um, you've been quite busy at work, haven't you? So it's been a bit of a stressful time for you. I'm not surprised that your body is I know. Like, a bit sick. It's like, do you remember when,
1: um, like, I definitely had this like more times throughout my teenage years and everything than you did, but like um, after we'd finished a run of a show, because, you know, you work full time, you go to the theatre after work, it's late nights, it's like two weeks of tech and performances and everything and then of course the party after we wrap and everything (laughs) and so then by like the Wednesday
0: or something the week after a show's done everyone is sick. Yeah um so the one time that I did a show with you that's probably the last time I was super sick and I had to have the whole week off work and I had this hideous like chest infection it was horrible and that's probably like I don't get sick very often and that is one of the few times I've been really sick and it was after the that anything goes yeah and
1: like that is just that's where my mind always goes immediately is that getting sick after which is just that you're tired you're a bit run down because it's been a busy couple of weeks and that's all that yes. it is and it's like when you yeah. get a chance to stop you get sick
0: yeah always but the way always the way I've not but really had a chance now. to stop yet so I'm getting sick already so who knows so what's gonna happen Aww. <laughs> Um, so today we are doing a book club and it's, oh, it's going to be so good to chat about this. Um, it's a fun one. so, so this is a HarperCollins book. We need to like say that, but it's one that we think that everybody will enjoy. Our listeners will enjoy. And I think that you will really get it because I don't know about you, Caitlin, but as I was reading this, um, especially towards the end, I was like we wouldn't be doing this podcast if neither of us were this obsessed with books. So it did get the obsession
1: with things.
0: Oh, and we'll go into that, but let me tell you about the book. So tell you our listeners, Caitlin already (laughs) knows about this book. Um, So the book is, this is not a book about Benedict Cumberbatch by Tabitha Carvin. Love the title. So let me read the blurb to you. This is, as the title says, not actually a book about Benedict Cumberbatch. In fact, it's a book about women and what we love, about what happens to women's passions after we leave adolescence and how the space for joy in our lives is squeezed ever smaller as we age and why. More importantly, it's about what happens if you subvert that narrative and simply love something like you used to. Drawing upon her personal experience of unexpectedly falling for the British actor Benedict Cumberbatch while stuck at home with two young children, Carvin challenges the reader to stop instinctively resisting the possibilities of experiencing pleasure. Hers is a clarion, rallying cry. Find your thing, whatever it may be, and love it like your life depends on it. Funny, intelligent, transporting, and liberating, this book is a total joy. And I totally agree. It's wonderful. It's such a great book. Yeah, it is such a joy to read. So I know that you're obsessed with Taylor Swift. Yes. Um, And I just kept thinking as I was reading this of all the other things I've been obsessed with. So yeah, the phases. You, you obviously know about the Beatles and like, we always joke about me being obsessed with the Beatles, but like, I do feel like I have grown out of that a little bit. And part of that is that idea that she discusses in this book of the fact that as women, we sort of need to grow out of these things Mm. um so I found that really fascinating but as I was reading and I was thinking back to being I think I was about 15 when I really got into the Beatles and sort of discovered them and until then I never felt like I had like a music style that I liked it didn't feel like like it just felt like that's how I found myself and that's what she explores in this book and you know, I actually remember back in the day, um, on Facebook when they used to have, like, when you would have groups attached to pages and you could have like discussion boards, there was the Beatles like page, like the official page that had these discussion boards attached to it. And I just remember spending hours, like doing, like playing like games with people where you would like, it would be one of those things where someone posts a song and you have to post like there would be all these little games are like you know yeah. post this to do with this like, and you would keep it going and have this chat and I would come home and like I didn't have like all these notifications from friends all my notifications were from like from the, the Beatles beat- and yeah <laughs> and it then also of course being a Beatles thing and you'll find I'm sure you'll find this with Taylor Swift as well of like the discussion she has about the way that music in particular is like there's two types of fans. There's like the obsessive screaming fangirl. And she talks about being that person who's like, well, I'm not like them. And I was like, Oh, I feel that cause I used to feel that about the Beatles as well. And think, well, if I went to their concerts, I wouldn't be that screaming person. I appreciate yeah. the genius of their music, but looking down on people but then there's just so many other things I've been obsessed with like we watched Lilo and Stitch the other day and I was like oh my god I remember I had an Elvis phase because of the soundtrack to Lilo and Stitch I was obsessed with Elvis yeah
1: I know it's such a good movie (laughs) it is funny that I I thought the same thing reading this book about my different sections of like where the obsession has gotten deeper and then maybe I've come out of it a bit Mm. and the thing and, like, looking down on other fans, I think the looking down on other fans thing is maybe different with music than it is with some other things because in Taylor Swift fandom, like, even yesterday, we were catching up with our friend Indy and she messaged um, afterwards to say, oh, my God, Caitlin, I forgot to ask you what you think of the theory that Taylor is dropping a double album on Friday the 13th. And I was like, oh, my God, I have no idea. And I just... <laughs> Because there's lots of theories and everything and lots of... Hang
0: on. What were your exact words? Oh, can I read read them out?
1: Yeah, go for it.
0: Swifty's crazier than I read way too much into these things all the time. And they do. And I really try not
1: to. And like, but what really gets me and I was, um, what gets me about these things is that every time I think, Oh come on, guys! We're going too far. Like she can post on her Instagram story about seeing the Batman without us going. There was a Batman movie released in 1989, but then she does <laughs> things that add up, and we're like, "God damn
0: it, Blondie!" Anyway, she uh, she I think loves it. She loves it. She loves yeah. it driving us crazy. I think she loves yeah, it. I yeah. Know yeah. she does.
1: But I didn't really get like this into Taylor Swift until like the past couple of you know probably like the um slightly post 1989 and into Reputation is really when I think I was like okay now I'm full on full on full on full on Swifty yeah. but yeah. before that um when I was around 15 and everything that era for me was I was completely obsessed with Friends and like I still am and I love the show a Sorry, lot.
0: you were um. <laughs> I know. You still are. I, it's wonderful. I love it. It's something about your personal <laughs> love, but I just, sorry, I didn't think you were past that. I'm not, I mean, I'm not
1: past it, but believe it or not, I feel like it was worse back then. In yeah. the um feeling superior way that you kind of um were explaining about the Beatles, like I added to IMDB trivia. So I could probably go to a specific Friends episode and be like, I wrote that.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. The thing that also made me think of this is too, I kept a lot of my obsessions around that time quite secret as well, because my obsessions were weird things that nobody else watched. Like, I don't really talk about things. I found I felt embarrassed even telling Jack, um, because when I told him that I love these TV shows, he was like, oh my God, my, my, my grandparents watched that. <laughs> but I was obsessed before the Beatles. With um, Blue Healers yeah. and Heartbeat, and I still am. I went to where Heartbeat was filmed. I've been multiple times in the UK, and I love it. And it's it's more like it's even more special now because my dad and I watch it together and stuff. But yeah, still I would like get photos on. Like pr- like when she talks about printing out photos and having them in her office, I had like screensavers. I also went through a charmed phase as well, and like my screensavers were all char- like. But no one else watched those shows. At least Friends was popular.
1: <laughs> okay, so Friends was popular when it was on in the nineties and early two thousands. It's popular now because it's like nineties nostalgia. In twenty eleven, when I was obsessed, no one cared. <laughs>
0: It must have been so hard. There would be no merch. Nowadays there's just merch everywhere. I know.
1: <laughs> I didn't have any merch for the longest time. My mum, a couple of years ago, now like in the time where Friends merch was is more readily available, but even still my mum had custom glasses made for me. So I have a set of six like glass tumblers that have each of the main characters' names on in like that Friends font with the dots yeah. in between. that's so cute I know and I got a box set and portable dvd player remember those for Christmas yes when um, I was remember that yes I had one
0: yeah oh definitely I used to use mine all the time to watch my and I still have all of the blue healers dvds all of the heartbeat dvds my friend's box set
1: is the only dvds I still have we're getting completely sidetracked talking about all the sessions and not actually talking about this book okay this
0: is what it does to you but Reading this book reminded me, A, how joyful it felt when I was in that and how much I loved it, Yeah. but also, B, how shameful it felt and how I didn't want to share it. And you know when she talked about, she talks in this about the fact that men and women have different, like, men are, are kind of allowed to have these interests, so us getting on yeah. the train of um, <laughs> the patriarchy again. But when she mentions, like, football clubs, Jack and yeah. I have just watched a TV show called Sunderland Till I Die and we were looking at that and people are, you know, getting tattoos, we'll go to every single game ever, all that sort of stuff, but that's, like, okay have because it's football. About
1: things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The classic thing of, like, it's okay because it's sport but it's not okay because it's a band or something is, yeah, yeah it's so unfair and that's, I mean, it's such a um, sexist gendered thing that,
0: and even, like, to be honest, even, like, to some extent, the Comic-Con stuff where it's, like, well, it's okay because it's, like, Star Wars or, you know, Star Trek or something, like, serious that a lot of guys like versus, like, oh, you love Friends? Well, that's really trashy and stupid. Like I know. It's just do you know right? Like, it is. It yeah. is the, and that she talks in there about, you know, how is it that a, uh, a movie about romance automatically becomes, like, a chick flick or whatever and it's seen as less than... And yet, you know, because it's yeah. something that men tend to like more. Um, but, you know, just that idea of, I mean, the, the story she tells in this book about throwing her U2 like T-shirt away and that idea that like you have to grow up and you can't. Yeah. i I feel that so deeply and I think I'm only really just starting to this whole idea of the fact that we don't have play time is something I'm trying to work on because I'm trying to, like you know me super productive all yeah. that sort of stuff I once um on summer holidays made myself a list of all the tv shows and books I wanted to complete before my summer holidays I have a problem with resting oh
1: my god no I do that too because even when yeah. you go on holiday it's like but I'm gonna read seven books I have to, yes, in a week I know, you I have know to productive. like
0: um So I'm trying to reclaim that sort of playtime and that's something that I was talking about with someone else and she was like, what can you do? And I was like, okay, like maybe sewing, like I've started trying to sew a little bit because that's something that's has no pressure, but also like puzzles, I guess, or something, you know, that I can do without, because reading as much as I love it and it is an obsession has also become work for us. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah because we've turned it into work by reading yeah from her for interviews and things but, but yeah
0: the thing is like where would we be if we hadn't been obsessed with books or gotten into that sort of like obsessive nature of it doesn't it's not one particular book for us but you know for example if you and I hadn't gotten into taking photos of books we never would have started this podcast yeah. like it's amazing and that's what she talks about is like it's not about benedict cumberbatch in the end it's the way that that unlocked something in all the people that she's spoken to to encourage them to like pursue whatever makes them happy yeah it's such a clever book it's so clever it's so clever because you
1: even though tabitha consistently refers to benedict cumberbatch and other people that she meets who are and i love this Cumber bitches so funny I love that um because even though consistently like from the first time I heard about this book I loved the concept and the discussion of like you know the so-called guilty pleasures and obsession and fandom and all of that I think is so interesting so from the first time I ever heard about this book I was so interested in the concept you know with guilty pleasures and um, obsession and fandom and all that stuff that you know we've always loved talking about Michelle I feel like we talk about guilty pleasures all the time and why they shouldn't be guilty but I never really cared about Benedict Cumberbatch and I've just realized I'm going to see Doctor Strange 2 tonight which obviously stars Benedict Cumberbatch but I'm not a Cumberbatch um, as <laughs> they call themselves um, but even though Tabitha consistently refers to Benedict Cumberbatch you always read it and like when she says Benedict or Mr. Cumberbatch or whatever I think you just insert your own things in there automatically because you Mm. relate to what she's going through even though it's not about him and that's why the book is called that because like did you have that every depending on maybe what this like topic was or whatever like when she was talking about um some of the, like, romantic attraction, and the fanfic and everything. Like, you think, like, oh, God, like, when I was a teenager and I daydreamed about dating people in One Direction and...
0: But, you know, what was really interesting, and I don't know if you've had this, um, but as I was reading this, yes, I was thinking about The Beatles. I was thinking about those TV shows I was obsessed with. Mm. But as you know, Caitlin, um, I, during lockdown, have joined a very, like... Intense fandom love for Strictly Come Dancing. Yes. And Giovanni in particular and Kai as well. And like, I, to the point where like, it, it just amazes me, like that, his decision to do a lockdown dance classes, I hadn't really, like, I'd seen him on the show the year before. And my friend was like, he's my favorite. You should do it for me because I'm pregnant and I can't. So I started doing that. And then like, I've met all these other people through it and we still have group chats where we share things and there's the the chat gets a bit filthy sometimes (laughs) but like to the point where like they go and meet him I'm so jealous I'm so jealous I have to watch them all going to meet him and stuff but like that even still like he is so nice about his fans but like you know we did a scrapbook of all of us talking about lockdown dance classes it's on my bookshelf I'm looking at their faces right now yeah it just <laughs> became so this that whole was, other thing it did it became this whole other thing and it just so that's a more recent example of like I kind of felt like her where it's like you have all this serious stuff you should be you know doing something seriously wrong with the world in the pandemic is happening and yet I just found this joy every day in this thing and so did like a hundred other women who still now talk to each other and yeah. also have felt more confident and found this joy. And some of us, you know, like I'm still doing dance classes. Some of the other women hadn't done in-person dance classes before. And it's, it's sort of that situation that she, it, it does awaken something and it's just reminded me like, how fun it is to be involved in that but it's funny too when she talks about like when people like oh what does your husband think is exactly the question that when I was like oh I make Jack get up at like 6am to watch Strictly Come Dancing with me but like he loves it like it's like when her husband is like watching Benedict Cumberbatch shows with her that she just saves the re-watches like that's the sort of yeah it just oh this book is just so good like for anyone who we've all got obsessions but also if you feel like she she says that at the end she's like make a list of the things that are your interests and if you can't do that like think about why like yeah what do you love what do there are so many bits that I was like oh I wish I could just it was just such a clever way of looking at things and yeah like oh and
1: it's you know it's not a chunk it's not a very chunky book it's quite a small little read that you can read quite quickly and you'll just like you finish it honestly and you just think oh my god i want to watch my favorite things and listen to my favorite shows and and a little part of me also was like should I get a bit more into Benedict Cumberbatch? She seems great. I know.
0: She <laughs> seems great. I, it just made me really happy to read it and be like, yeah, well, I'm really glad that I'm obsessed with Strictly. That makes you happy. Like why do we look down on that? Oh, it's just such a, a clever, wonderful book. And I feel like we've not really talked about the book. <laughs> I know. I don't... But that's how it's made us feel as well. So we recommend it to everyone because – it will ignite that hopefully. Like, yeah.
1: Just... And it really does. Oh. It goes, so obviously Tabitha talks about, you know, when she sort of first started getting a bit obsessive and it come about and how she got into the community a bit and reached out to other people and to, you know friends of hers and other people like overseas who you know wrote fan fiction or like had podcasts and all these things to try and learn it's like well why do you care about Benedict Cumberbatch why do we care so much about these things and um because it is a bit of a thing I think particularly obviously most you know celebrities artists like most celebrities actors musicians blah well blah, blah, like have fans Um, But the Benedict Cumberbatch thing really had quite a big wave that he's made several comments on it publicly and people ask him and he goes, I just want to be clear, I did not come up with bitches, they came up with that. (laughs) And it's really an interesting discussion and a thought-provoking read about fan culture as well as like the finding the things that make you happy and just like having a bit of joy and, you know, Watching a movie with your favourite actor in it, like what's the harm in that, you know?
0: Yeah, no, this book is wonderful. Thank you for sending it to me. Thank you for suggesting it and um, I think we should read it. Um, and on the topic of obsession as well, obviously there are certain authors who we get obsessed with and who, you know, I would just read their grocery list and our guest today is one of those authors. He sure is. So um, if we haven't embarrassed ourselves enough already, talking about all the things that we are
1: this is quite an embarrassing
0: episode generally isn't it oh my god I am so embarrassed at my own fangirling in this instance but I also kind of don't care um but yeah just get ready to have us be hopeless in this episode but our guest is very good so please enjoy Our guest today is a Sunday Times bestselling author who was born in Scotland, and after some efforts at journalism, she started writing fiction. And her debut, "You Had Me at Hello," was an instant success. Since then, she's sold nearly two million copies of her books. "Mad About You" is her eighth novel, and she now lives in Nottingham with a man and a cat. Please <laughs> welcome Barry McFarlane. Thank you for having me. <laughs> she's a lot you don't know how excited we are we're so excited I mean you do because we've
1: already wasted some of your time (laughs) rabbiting on about how excited we are
0: um
2: but I
1: I just also have to say, I've always loved the line in your bio that says you live with a man and a cat.
2: Yeah. <laughs> just like... was, do you know what? That was one of those stray moments of inspiration because I found writing a bio really embarrassing. It's kind of like, I was always really bad at writing CVs and I had that moment of like, what do I say? Because I'm not married. And you get into the whole thing of like, boyfriend, partner, what to say? And then I suddenly thought, a man and a cat. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's yeah. just like,
1: what if you like said one thing or whatever and then in the next book it's like you've you know if you've written boyfriend and then if you got married or whatever like you just think you must overthink all that stuff I would think the other favorite line I don't remember whose it was but I remember reading someone's bio and the last line of their author bio at the front of their book was and he can't believe he had to write his own bio
2: (laughs) (laughs) which I thought was also very funny there's a comedian in, in uh, Britain. I don't know if you've heard of him called, Al- well, the character is called Alan Partridge. Oh but yes. He, in his <laughs> satirical book, it finishes, it, I think it's when it says thank yous. And he says, there is nobody I wish to thank at the present time. <laughs> <laughs> I would like I to love you know. love that. Yes.
0: I love that. Oh, that's oh, old. Uh, oh, let me tell you, I know a lot about British comedians. I love them. <laughs> in, yeah. Like, honestly, that's, a staple in in my household um so clearly we're very big fans of your work and I think there's only one book of yours I haven't read yet and honestly I'm holding off because I just don't want to not have any books left to look forward to um but we're obviously here to talk about your new book so Mm -hmm. for those who haven't uh you know joined the the fan cult that we've started um can you please tell us what mad about you is all about oh
2: god i should i should learn to prepare for this moment because i'm absolutely terrible at praising my own books but right here goes without spoilers that's the thing isn't it as well yeah so it's about a wedding photographer called harriet who lives in leeds and is proposed to by her long-term boyfriend and it is quite an agonizing proposal without um going into details um, and she turns him down and it causes a bit of kind of uh, chaos and social drama. And in the fallout, she moves in with somebody that she thinks she doesn't know. But it turns out that their paths have crossed in a certain way in the past. Um, and from there, she realizes that the reasons why her last relationship fell apart are bigger than than she thought, really. And uh, a, basically a monster from her past resurfaces from the deep and she has to deal with that. And so it's very much about that journey. Oh, that's a terrible place is <laughs> no no that's
0: no that's so that's so and you know it's funny whenever I think of your books I always think there is some excruciating moment at the start um oh. it always I think I find that you always have like this amazing way of writing something where it just makes me want to like physically squirm in my seat like it's <laughs> really so agonizing yeah and that proposal oh my god yeah. Yeah, wait, there is a like... joy
2: in fiction to making up scenarios that you don't actually have to force a real life person to live and you haven't had to live yourself, and that proposal is up there. I just thought. <laughs> Imagine, imagine how horrendous that would be. I've oh, seen so I've seen amazing. a variant of that where um, the um, boyfriend, uh, husband-to-be iced iced the question on a cake and presented it to her in front of all of us. It. So it was a big room of people. Um, and I think at the back of my mind, it's incredible how retentive writers' memories are, I think. I mean, I will put jokes in there, of, you know, it's something somebody said to me when I was 12 years old. But yeah, I think even since then, I've thought, because we did all afterwards, after that proposal, she accepted it, but we were like, oh my God, what if she said no, though? that was so much yeah. pressure that was awful and so I, I definitely had filed that away I for, know so public proposals fun. are
0: such oh my god you can't say no. No, it's horrible. I, no yeah I have such strong feelings about them and I made sure that my now fiance knew that very <laughs> very well <laughs> yeah. and I do I do often look at some of those flash mobs and stuff and like I'm sure if you're like a performance couple and that's your thing then good for you but I look at yeah. most of them and think oh, there's something that just does not sit True. right with me yeah. about, like, a flash mob proposal or something. that You know, when you see those, like, American, like, baseball ones and I'm always just like, no. Yeah. Oh, this is yeah. so
1: random. But did you guys see the proposal? This was at the end of last year, I think. There was a proposal that someone did at that private Adele concert at Griffith Observatory. Oh, Did no. you see that?
2: Something
1: like that. Oh, it my was, God. like it was like this concert was around her oprah interview and it was just like a random couple that they were like they had a picnic somewhere else near griffith observatory in like hollywood park or whatever and like before they came up they like turned all the lights down with like all these famous people at this private adele concert for her oprah interview and he proposed and like she said yes and like they clearly loved each other and that's fine but that's fine I'm happy for them whatever um but (laughs) but she like was really emotional and crying a lot and the line that really sticks in my head is she says like she's like are you serious oh my god and she says I'm so glad you didn't let me eat I would have thrown up And so then (gasps) she says yes and everything and everyone's happy, but then like lights come back on and Adele serenades them and they're like sitting in the front row next to like Lizzo and Oprah or something. And I'm like, (laughs) imagine that was like broadcast on national TV in the US and around the world. It was aired.
2: You have to be very, very sure of the personality of the person you're proposing to, don't you? It's like yeah, surprise, totally. surprise parties are a high wire act as well. Oh. Like A lot of people do not want to suddenly find that their house is full of everyone they've ever met and they haven't had a chance to get dressed up either. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly.
0: And like, honestly, like, and I think it's accurate to talk about weddings here because what Harriet does is wedding photography so there is a lot in the book about some observations around weddings and so my partner and I actually picked my engagement ring because I hate surprises and I think he was getting quite anxious about picking something I didn't like (laughs) but I think it's interesting that I read this at the time that I did because um, just as Caitlin and I were reading this she came to visit uh, where we both used to live um and I live now and we went wedding dress shopping for my wedding congratulations thank you this has been the most stressful like I was not looking forward to wedding dress shopping because I don't want anything traditional and so I I just have had this idea in my mind and I think it was it was an interesting timing to read it because I yes Caitlin and I had so much fun but it did just bring up a lot of things where I was like, there are some really stupid things about the wedding industry. And I think it's, I, I really like the way that you sort of, like you wove that in a little bit without it being too cynical or anything. Yeah. I thought there were some interesting <laughs> elements in there. Thank and I, I appreciated that. And I was like, ah, oh, yes. Mm, I, know, I
2: absolutely love a wedding, but something that I thought at the outset of writing Mad About You is that we see weddings on, in films, particularly rom-com films, but just full stop on screen all the time, and yeah. they're never really like the weddings we go to. Like they tend to be like, particularly in England, we go hard on the kind of aristocratic castle and Hugh Grant and everyone in, yeah. you know, what, what do you call it, top and tails and all that kind and of thing. And why totally. is it called
0: a wedding breakfast yeah. in England? I don't understand it. It's not like the wedding she goes to. No. Oh it's like the reception, caitlin I know. <laughs> Only I had that's learn... Dinner?
1: I am so oh that's weird.
0: <laughs> it is dinner. That's the thing, Caitlin. This is what confused me when I moved to England. I was like, why is it called the wedding breakfast? I've never heard that term before. So weird, isn't oh, it? Wow. We don't yeah.
2: we don't do um rehearsal dinners either. So no, that's when not a when thing we see Australia. that on planes or whatever, that's like really exotic thing to see. But yeah, I yeah, wanted wedding true. the wedding I wanted to channel was there's a big hotel I walk past almost every day here. The corner from where I live, and there's often girls there in foam rollers, hotel dressing gowns, cigarette on, glass of prosecco, the UGG slippers, and I just love all that. I love like the real, the real kind of weddings and the behind the scenes, and it's far more. You know, it's like like I was saying, it's far more like the weddings we actually go to, isn't it? And there does tend to be drama. There does tend to be, and you know. Without being sexist about it, an angry mother of the groom, you know, pinballing around or whatever, you know, there, there is always controversies because there's so much emotion and there's so much about social display in weddings.
0: I think the line that stuck with me, and I, I'm going to butcher it, and I can't remember it now, but because I should have written it down or like <laughs> reminded myself of this, but
2: well, you'll probably um, be reminding me
0: of it at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was before. It was the day before Caitlin and I went and tried on these wedding dresses, though, and it was that bit where. Th- where that that sort of scene that you're describing takes place in the book where the bride is having an absolute meltdown because it's pouring oh, rain it's outside. Yeah. yeah, and and Harriet just has this observation of like, well, I mean, any day you put this much pressure into it's going to end up being atrocious, not atrocious, yeah. but like basically if you're putting this much pressure on a day to be the perfect something's day, something's, wow. it, it's not going to be perfect. Like it's a yeah. bit ridiculous. And I think that's where I'm at with weddings. I'm having a very non-traditional Kind of elopement slash mini wedding, and it just Lovely. a lot of things are just getting chucked out the window.
2: My ultimate anecdote for wedding insanity, and very, very usefully, it is not my anecdote, so nobody who's invited me to a wedding could possibly hear this and recognise themselves. But (laughs) a friend friend of mine worked for a company where the um, CEO's daughter had a wedding, so he was very wealthy, and the whole thing was very much a display of wealth. And it was at some kind of like giant marquee outside their house, and I think Jamie Oliver's company did the catering. But check this part out. But check this part out. They had some kind of designer dogs, and when they were arriving. all the designer dogs had like big bow ties in the colors of the wedding but they were all sat there napping and somebody told my friend and she said oh yeah they've drugged them and she was like what <gasps> and she's like giving them a mild sedative so that they're all nice and docile in the photos so <laughs> that they
0: look
2: cute in the photos gone too far. that's <laughs> like that's, insane. like, Cruella
0: level, like, It, it what really the
2: hell? is mind-blowing, isn't it? Oh,
1: my God. Oh, For a second, I oh thought God. you were going to say that they were, like, giving everyone a dog, you know, like in Bridesmaids, how everyone oh, takes yeah. puppies, which is, but, like, drugging them is almost, that's worse.
0: Oh, my God. Oh. Um, that's so bad. Okay, wow. Um, so oh we've, we've got Harriet who is the, just to get back to the book, um, Harriet is photographing all these crazy <laughs> wedding antics. So there's a lot going on there for her and as you say she's dealing with relationship dramas this breakup that she's going through moving into this house share with a random stranger who turns out not to be a so random or a stranger <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, can you tell us a little bit about what sparked Harriet's story for you?
2: there is um, I don't want to give any spoilers but the nature of the problem in Harriet's past, Uh, the the kind of uh, toxic relationship that she had. I'd known for years that I wanted to write about something like that. And I kept hitting the stumbling block that it's quite a tough one to write about in the present tense. It would be quite gruelling to read. And I think, although I like to challenge the limits of what you can put in a romantic comedy and keep the romance comedy, even I thought yeah. that toxic relationship in present tense would be too much. And then I was thinking, I'm really interested in how, because I, I feel like I haven't seen this discussed a lot, that quite often you make a crap decision after a bad relationship as an overcorrection, almost like crashing into the hard shoulder instead of the central reservation these are very english terms aren't they I don't, sorry i don't know what <laughs> i <laughs> know, <laughs> you know what
0: i am mean? like <laughs> yes yes yeah the, doing. Doing the
2: other direction and the thing i i only realized this when i was talking about it the other day but the kind of keynote thing that harriet discovers is recovery and escape are two different things and she's escaped but she's not recovered and her choice of John um, was so heavily influenced, as she as she realizes over the course of the story, by this bad relationship that she had not fully got through her system. So that was kind of where the idea of the story came from.
0: She sort of is just putting the bandaid on. She's just ignoring yeah. it and being like, "I'm fine," and repressing stuff. Yeah. And as we she's know, that herself. never ends
2: she's well. herself, and she she's basically she sought safety and she sought to hide away from things. Um, and the story, obviously, is about her not being able to have that safety and hide anymore. That makes it sound serious and grim. I have a real gift as no, well. No, no. It serious really, and grim. It,
1: <laughs> it is. It, it, that's what it is so interesting because you're right, that in the present tense, I suppose, I mean, in the present tense, I suppose we wouldn't want it to be a romantic comedy because we would want her to get away from him. But, yeah, in that past tense way and exploring it through that way, it doesn't seem as grim. But it must have been difficult to keep that balance, but with such a serious topic.
2: Yeah. And something I think I've been through the furnace you know, and come out steel with last night, because I honestly didn't think I could pull the plane out of the nose in last night. Um, so the fact that everyone accepted that there could be joy within that story emboldened me yeah. <laughs> to write relationship in Mad About You. <laughs>
0: yeah so can you just um can you just tell us a little bit about that process then for people who might be listening who've not had the pleasure of reading every single one of your books yet (laughs) (laughs) and what a joy they have before
2: them I'm I'm so jealous yeah but like keeping that balance with
0: like the hard stuff and then because your books are still so all your books all your books and I think because I I lost my dad last year and I read don't you forget about me and and there's that storyline in there about someone losing their dad and a complicated relationship as well and I think it just brought home to me again how brilliant you are at mixing those things to still have and it's not like a crazy like one minute you're laughing one minute you're like you it's such a you do bring them together you know how 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 do you do that how do you keep it lighthearted when you're
2: thank you so much and exploring that I wish I had a clever answer that made me sound like a writer full of process and craft. And the reality is I just sort of blindly stumble around a dark room feeling where the sharp edges are. Um, I don't really. Uh, what I have noticed is that when I come to plan my book, so I'm planning the next one at the moment, just about to start writing it. I do tend to start with a really hard, dark, emotional stuff. That is like my foundational stones. And then I build outwards from that. And over time, I've just learned that that's the way it's going to go. So I was only said to my editor the other day, this this new idea, it's really grim and hard though, is it? And it's like, hang on a minute, this happens every time, you'll be all right. And Just like, I, I know this, what's going
1: on. <laughs> I don't know what
2: happens next. And the thing is, as well, I think there is such a thing in the British psyche that if you go to like a funeral awake here, most of the times, people will be being really funny. People will be cracking jokes amid all the, the kind of sadness. It's a, a coping mechanism. So with, uh, say, last night, I was so worried about people thinking, you know, is this really queasy, bad taste? And then realising people need humour at over the dark, difficult things in their life, actually more. Like, you, you lean yeah. on, on brightness and lightness and humour even more. So, yeah, that's that's what I do, really. I think it's really important to never mock the kind of emotional, serious stuff in in the story. I think that, that it would go awry if I did that. So... I was very clear with last night that um, the, uh, the, do I spoil or not? I don't know. The the emotional punch of last night, I was very clear from the start that that story, that person would still be present on the last page because I thought otherwise what you've got is a really sinister meet cute. Yeah, really (laughs) sinister. I was like, no, this is about loss and it's about the love between those two people as much as it is about the romance.
0: So I'm curious then, where did you start with, mad about you did you start with like harriet's letter i started uh, with
2: the toxic i started with a toxic relationship and then yeah and then there was a lot of I'm, I'm ruining the magic now but there was an awful lot of um conversation with my editor about how the tit-for-tat revenge worked because as soon as, as soon as i knew that one of the things was an attack on social media there was no way the revenge could be on social media because ultimately that's boring and so she had to take it bigger and there was a question of How do you take it bigger? And then is it plausible that you would ever do that? I had real plausibility stumbling blocks. So I worked. Honestly, I think I must have spent about a a month on about two chapters in that. Just ridiculous. Just going back over them and over them and trying trying to sell it to you that that could actually happen. (laughs) I hope I managed it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I loved it so much. And actually, I think the ending was just perfect absolute shameless fangirl talking about your books but honestly like <laughs> it's just and I when I broke up with like my first boyfriend before I obviously met my now fiance and stuff like I remember just being reading your books and being like I know they'll make me happy like it's like oh, yeah. oh it's I love yeah it's, you know,
2: being a comfort read being a reread yes a yeah. read I love that oh so my god me you sometimes are apologetic, you know i think they think that that sounds like a downgrade it's like no no that's that's the ultimate goal so nice. that's amazing yeah, that's, <laughs> that's why i'm
0: that's why i've saved like one final if i never met yeah, you, yeah if i never met you yes ah, it's okay. at my library no. it's at my library and i just i was like got one more to read and then i'm gonna go, gonna go back and reread and oh. yeah it's...
2: <laughs> well no pressure but if i never met you is the one that's been optioned for a film and they've got a really amazing vision for the film. So oh my god, yeah, it amazing! I would that have loved If I Never Met You.
1: I was really excited about that one. I think we had proofs for that when I first started that HarperCollins like two years I ago. I think that's I why. Really I think that's
0: probably why I missed it, Caitlin, because it. I think it came out. Well, not missed it, but like it came out just as we were moving overseas, and so I think in that.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Somewhere in there.
0: Craziness! But... I I didn't get to it, and I kept being like, "I'll get to it." <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not a true fan because so I've not read everything.
1: Um... <laughs> anyway, um, <I'm, laughs> back to official recording. I'm curious that you say that you kind of start with the really hard stuff because I obviously, your books are, you know, romantic and lovely and contemporary and brilliant and always so fresh, but a lot of them at kind of the very, very core, like with Mad About You, I suppose we could say that's kind of an enemies to lovers story and like, yeah if I never met you is fake dating you know some of those like core romance tropes that people love to talk about but I just want to know how does that work into your writing process to like put your own spin on it because saying mad about you as enemies to lovers is like the most basic description of the book ever
2: (laughs) they're sort of of wary to lovers aren't they (laughs) yeah they're not
1: super they're not super enemies but it's not exactly friends to lovers either
2: I don't know if this is a helpful answer or not, but with If I Never Met You, I'd fancied writing fake the fake dating trope for years. I love but the fake thing dating trope. Is, oh, hey, it's beautiful, isn't it? Do you know it's what? It's so There's fun. Crazy. There is a weird thing in the universe, though. The minute you have an idea, you see or read something similar and it always yeah, makes yeah. you look like plagiarist honestly i i've gone from being oh where did you copy that from to being so forgiving of similarities because now i'm like you would not believe the amount of times the cosmos does this to you and i mm. remember um, when i'd got the idea for if i never met you and i started writing my friend invited me around she's like far we've already got to see this and we watched uh, to all the boys i've loved before oh yeah there's a bit where they're making a list of um the events that they've got to go to like they've got to agree which things they'll do and i think is it is it him or her going we've got to do prom together and they're arguing it and i say i actually have the and... list moment with the, i have the email moment if i never met you where they figure out where which things they've got to go to together and, and like, when hey, the okay. relationship will end is obviously it up? Well? exactly and it was like oh yeah. my goodness um luckily nobody has ever accused me of copying but it was it was a weird <laughs> moment but what i always do is I think, how would this actually work in real life? I'm I'm very much a writer who I need to convince myself <clears throat> that this could happen before I can convince you. And I've got a friend um, who lives near me here. And she was, although no, I shouldn't say that, I don't realise I've identified her. Um, she's a lawyer. And she used to work at a firm which actually once called her in and said, do you know what? We'd like to promote you. Um, but you're not married and you don't have children and what's going on here then? You're like 33 or whatever she'd be, and I was like, oh my god, I can't believe in 21st century they can see this to you. But law fans are like run like pirate ships really because the bosses can do what they want and they know the law. Um, yeah. And I, that and that I sort of filed that away, and so when it came to write fake dating, I thought. Who would, who apart from people who want revenge on exes, who could benefit from having a, a fake partner? And I thought, hey, I got a bit it, and that's how they became lawyers. So that's kind of every romance is different, but generally it's a what if. It's like, oh, but what if? And I sort of build from there. I don't tend to think about the tropes, and and brutally, this is this is a terrible thing to reveal. I don't often think of the heroine or the love interest i tend to start with the scenario and then i build the right people to be in that scenario so like harriet in mad about you is quite a kind of because she's a photographer she's the kind of person who doesn't put hates being the center of attention yeah. and so i sort of build from there
1: and it kind of does make sense because all of your books are so different and you know featured different people in different situations and
0: but and as books. as i said before like always situations that feel so true to life Yeah, that kind of make me want to squirm. So yeah, (laughs) it it makes sense that like, that's where you start and then and then build out. Um, So we mentioned before that Mad About You is your eighth novel. How does it feel now releasing a novel compared to putting out that first one? What, What do
2: you think you'd go back and tell your past self? What a what a brilliant question. It is so weird, because when you did the intro and you said my eighth novel, I have this little double take of like, how am I on my eighth novel? Because in my <laughs> head, I'm still on the, my head. I'm still on the first. Honestly, it's so weird. Um, it just goes so quickly. Um, what would I tell me? <laughs> I would say it'll be all right. Because I think every single time, I remember my absolute terror writing, Here's Looking at You, and I just thought, Everybody Loved Ben and Rachel, my first book, but they don't like me and it was such an incredible revelation that people liked the voice of the book and that i could make up different characters in different scenario and readers would follow me and i i remember being stopped when when his looking at you came out i think a friend's mum stopped me in the street and you know how friend friends mums they they just give it you straight don't they and she's like fine yeah. sorry, I've, read your, I've read your second book and i was like oh thank you and she said i'll be honest i liked it more than the first there was a bit more to go at wasn't there <laughs> you know what in that moment i thought oh my god there are people that are going to like the second one more what on earth and that that was the thing that i sort of blew me away that like you can be a storyteller and you can keep telling different stories and people will follow you and so i think the vari of you had me at hello needed to know that you know it wasn't all about those characters and that idea because it was one of those ideas where when it comes to you i had that moment of has anybody done this before because i can't believe it's such a good idea And then going back to what we were saying about plagiarism, then my friend won a holiday to los angeles and a radio competition and we we got on the plane and she handed me a paperback she could she could sleep on planes and i couldn't she said here you go read this everyone's talking about it one day by david nichols and i started reading it and at this point you have me hello was with an agent but not with a publisher and I, when she woke up i was sobbing and she was like you can't have got to the end already and i said no this is my book jenny i'm ruined there was, there was a particular line where um, i don't know if you've read One day, but there's a bit where Emma says to Dexter, You're like shingles or something. And I already had the line towards the end where um, Ben says to Rachel, You're psoriasis, but of the heart, you're just like this condition that's just going to keep coming up. And it was like the same joke. And I thought, Oh my god! And and actually, it was all all right in the end, but actually, the publisher that published one day did turn me down because of one day they said you know we love it but it's too much like one day so yeah but i actually got i got a friendship out of it as well because i contacted david nichols to say to him look i've got this book coming out and i would be horrified for you to think that i ripped you off i'm so and he sorry was, he was just nice about it and we became friends oh, that's um, so, so lovely that's
1: <laughs> I what love that god. your friend woke up and was like, "Wait, are you at the end?" <laughs> like, why yeah. Are... yeah,
0: because the ending <laughs> really? of that is quite devastating. was yeah. taking yeah. off from Heathrow, and there I was going, "Oh my god!" Oh. <laughs> um, and obviously since then as well, like you've had endorsements from some amazing, amazing authors. So I just want to read out for our for our listeners the endorsement quotes from Marion
2: Keys. Oh, um with, what a wonderful woman she is! Like, I
0: mean. So I'll read out that. So she says, My heart always soars at a new Vari novel. I love, love, love her. She's so great at treading a narrow line between humor and loss. I read this with delight and envy. Ooh. And she says, Brilliant on relationships, friendships, and emotions. I loved, loved, loved this book. How does it feel like she is iconic? How does it feel to get feedback from people that you also admire?
2: utterly surreal utterly surreal honestly it's it's hard to describe it like I still feel like she's talking about somebody else and I got in I got <laughs> Look, in who is with this person
0: this sounds Where amazing is
2: this, who is this Maharia she's talking about but, um, <laughs> <laughs> with you, um, you with you have me at hello I remember I got in touch with Marion I was very lucky in that when I in a former lifetime and I worked at the local paper I'd actually interviewed Marian. I did a phone interview with her oh. that was scheduled through the, the newspaper we got on really well And then I entered a writing competition and I had to do an interview for it. And I thought, I wonder if I can call in a favor from Marion. And she was so lovely. So I took a day off work and flew to Dublin and interviewed her at her house classic varry cock up in nottingham you can get to a train station get in a taxi and where whichever house you're going to is going to take you 15 minutes maximum so of course that's what i replicated rather than look at on the map flew to dublin (laughs) she lives in an area called Dunleary. guess what i was then in a taxi for like an hour and a half going oh my god what have i done so i think we didn't have very much time in the end but anyway a long way around to saying I had met Marion so when you had me hello came out uh, Twitter wasn't really as much of a thing then she wasn't as accessible and I think I might have still have an old email address and I just sort of called in the phone and said look do you mind if I send it to you and she said no she said I don't mind at all but I don't I don't blurb many things and I was like no totally understand it's a moonshot and then I got this incredible rave back with her just going I genuinely genuinely absolutely love this Bari I can't <laughs> say it, enough good things and she was like just use any of this email for your quote if you want it and I was like no, jumping around the room screaming. So she has just been extraordinary from the start. And I know anecdotally that people bought my first book because it had Marion's quote on it. They thought if Marion thinks it's good, it's got to have something going for it. Um, but she is just so generous with her endorsements to say that she is the queen of our genre you know she couldn't be more encouraging and supportive to um, newer authors I was going to say younger authors then thought that's a bit hubristic barry <laughs> <Newer laughs> <authors. laughs> so yeah I think, you know what it's actually true of the industry as a whole I've encountered nothing but nice supportive lovely attitudes amongst female authors I think it is a very good industry in that way it's very feminist and very full of solidarity which is lovely
0: So, tell us how you went.
2: You have me. So, um, I was a reporter at the local paper. It's pretty much my first job. Um, I went from a weekly to local. Yes, I was a reporter and then I became a feature writer. Um, And then I turned 30 at the local paper and I didn't, it wasn't a dream. It was like I should have kind of gone by then. And I was surrounded by an awful lot of uh, ridiculously ambitious people who are now successful in all kinds of ways. Like wh- um, m- one of my colleagues um, was a guy called Tim Hutton, who's now the thriller author TM Logan. Uh, he's doing ridiculously well. So it's like I was surrounded by very go-getting people. Turn 30 and obviously in England, the big thing is you move to London, Like you go to nationals and that was always my dream. And I just lost the appetite somewhere in my late 20s. Having bought a house here, I just started to think, mm, I, I don't want to do wow. that anymore. Yeah. Oh, so my God, this
0: is my last.
2: <laughs> well, it's, it's, nobody ever really talks about this, do they? But you get to an age where it is a trade off between your job and your life. And yeah. I had a life here I really liked. I had loads of friends. Well, she says loads of friends. I had all my friends around me, which I knew I wouldn't have in London. London's a hard graft here as well. It's a very expensive. Yeah. Place yeah. And my my uh, partner had worked down there for years. So I kind of had the best of London. I've been traveling there at the weekends. And he was ready to come back to Nottingham. So it very much my life uh, geography was to, to keep me here. So what do I do? And then one day, it's, it's weird looking at like what the triggers were, but... One day, the deputy editor walked up to me and he said, oh, Vario, we're doing this female advertising supplement targeted at females. Uh, and it was, you know, you couldn't do it now, and I'm glad of it. It was so hilariously reductive. It was all chocolate bars and pink Fiat cars and tampons. <laughs> Um, and he was like, we need some editorial to run, run alongside it. And he said, we've had this hilarious idea. We would like you to write Bridget Jones's if she lived in Nottingham. And I was like, Ugh. Like, like I always do if asked to do something outside my comfort zone I've never done before. I just had a little small meltdown whilst going, yes, yeah, sure, I'll try and do that. Um, and then yeah. I actually came to do it. And something just sparked. I, Bridget Jones is a particularly good thing to do as a kind of parody because it's that it, it, she's got that very clear voice, hasn't she? And it's like VV v, good, and like the, the whole way she talks and the kind of little stampers at the beginning of the diary. So it was a very like sort of safety do you, do you call them uh, stabilizers on a bike when you're a little kid do you remember you've got those those special extra wheels yeah uh, it was like, it was like a stabilizer bike um so i was able to do that and then i was writing i was thinking oh god i'm just having the best time the best time and then I got an internal phone call from the sales girls in the sales department saying, I will never forget this. What happens next? They've got the copy through mm. and like, what happens next. And I was thinking, what the silly thing that I just made up to run alongside your apps. yeah, what happens next? So I wrote another instalment, and that the, what happens next is the possibly the most addictive question anyone can ask you. It's like, what? I just yeah. made this up. You wanna I control I'm god of this universe, I'm George R. 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 Martin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if Lannister lives or not, this is incredible. And like, you care about her and I only made her up. Um, So that was it, really, I think, without knowing it. And I didn't have, like, a moment of revelation going, that is what I must do. I think it just sort of, it's just slowly started to kind of percolate inside me. And I very much felt like I am such a fan of romantic comedy, as you could probably tell. Um, And I would look at the shelves and there was an awful lot, around that time, there was an awful lot of... um. You know, rich man with a credit card, going shopping, does my bum look big in this kind of thing. And I very much felt like, well, I've never dated or ever known a man who earns six figures, seven figures in the city. Like this isn't a world I know or could write about or could really relate to. And I started to think about what if, what if I wrote a romantic comedy that took place in the real world? Because you see, see that in the films as well. You know, as much as I enjoy Justin Timberlake and Mila Kunis flirting, those films do not take place in our real world, do they? Everything is taking right. place in sort of a off-road yes. colony of Hollywood. And so it was very deliberate And You Had Me at Hello. She is an unglamorous job as a court reporter. Uh, she's called Rachel and he's called Ben. There's no kind of fancy, sit, like, mad uh, names. And it's rainy old Manchester. Like, I did wonder if I, I could get away with that. There's no, you know, there's no kind of fantastical jobs, no fantastical names, no fantastical setting, no glamour, no one's very rich. Um, I really felt the money needed taking out of Romcoms. I felt it's weird, isn't it? Yeah. But I do think that had infected it a bit. Everyone had to be wealthy and do, be in art, you know, what is it? They were, The joke is always that they're a gallery, they work in an art gallery or whatever. The I know I work in an art gallery in England. One of the royal, one of the pr- royal princesses has that job here. <laughs> so, yeah. So that was kind of it. It was just like it all came together and that kind of felt like the challenge. And I realised looking back that feature writing was almost a practice run as well because you would... I always say, you go on a news story, a car's crashed into a tree, to be honest, there are only so many ways you can write that up, and if you try and get fancy, news desk are going to change it back. Yeah, you can't start doing it from the perspective of the tree or anything. If you, get, if, if you write a feature, the world, you know, the sky's the limit. You know, yeah. you, you choose the quotes, you choose how to describe the setting, you choose how to sell that, that story. Um, and I realised, so I'd actually been doing that for ages. I was just being supplied with a story and given the dialogue. And Exactly. Oh, my gosh. When I sit
0: down to do a feature now, the first line really oh, dictates yes. how I'm going to go. And I yeah. know a lot of people, like, I think with news copy, you definitely can go back and change the first line. But for me, in a feature, the first line dictates then, as you say, like, then which quotes do you pull in? Then, then you do a, like, because mm. we obviously break up ours by a subhead. Um, so we'll like, then do I switch something after that, after the subhead? And like, how do I tell this story? And yeah. it's like narrowing down the choices on the yes. choose your own adventure
2: totally. So it feels that that feel
0: thing, like that first thing you
1: like, essays and stuff, how people would be like, Oh, I write my introduction last or whatever. I cannot, I need to, yeah, my absolutely. Oh my god, the amount of time
2: yeah. I, I spend so much time on a first page and first chapter because I just feel it sets the tone absolutely oh, yeah. the weird thing with features though that sometimes when you get a truly incredible blow your socks off story and if you were telling your friends they would just be um, you know their eyes would be wide open and glazed actually you have very little to do because it's almost like I think when you make those those kind of stories fancy in the write-up it's like having your finger over the camera lens taking a picture like you're actually getting in the way actually when the most incredible stories it's like get out of the way of the story and just tell it just do <laughs> it, it if you, Michelle, if you decide to go into fiction, you're getting a lot of good training here. Well, <laughs> this is
0: the thing I always say, as you said before, I love I love being a journalist because I'm terrible at coming up with plots. So I'm just like, yes, give me the story. I will work my magic. But, like, I'm terrible at thinking about plot, stuff. Plots so.
2: are the absolute worst. Any any writer who tells you there's anything harder than the plot, I suspect, is lying to you. <laughs> I sit that and write fantasy better. dialogue all day coming up with the plot twist really is the thing and you know what it's easy to say oh it's harder now I mean how do I, you know I don't know how hard it was in the 1970s but I do think that we're so savvy and we all live on a binge Netflix binge diet where we're used yeah. to incredible twists and we're used to things happening and we can see things coming so it's very hard to kind of meet that expectation of exciting but plausible <laughs> that yeah. is genuinely tricky
1: definitely so with all of your feature writing training and working on the first book and everything obviously we said before you're now up to book eight and you're starting work on book yeah. nine yes. how has your writing process changed over
2: these over, over eight books now? that's years. a good question um i don't know that it's changed that much I think that I think I remember seeing a talk by Lisa Jewell and she said the only thing that's changed is I now know I'll get to the end when I'm stuck and I used to think it was all over when I got stuck and I think there's a lot of truth there. That's a
1: really Uh, nice thought, isn't it? It is
2: a really nice thought. It is do you know what? Another analogy I want to use, but I but I have no children and suspect a woman who's given birth would want to punch me in the face for it, is that it's possibly like giving birth in that. You even if you've done it before, it, it's going to be different each time. But you're probably yeah. just a bit better at recognizing the stage or knowing that you'll get to the end. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, yeah. considerably less painful. Um, but yeah, um, what I did, what I tend to do is, in terms of the plot, I always think of it as like a train journey. I buy my ticket. I know where we're setting off from. I know the destination. I know the big stops on the way. There will be small stops that I'm not expecting and there will be scenery that I'm not expecting. Um, I, I kind of have to do it that way. First of all, because um, I would be very bored if I tried to do an absolute recitation of the plot from beginning to end. Second of all, I just don't have all my good ideas at the start. Like I will get into it. will start and then I'll be like, oh, and then and to be honest, then there's just the bare, the absolute cockups. So a, a cock up I had was, um, if I never met you, when I started out, um, Laurie and Dan didn't work at the same place. Uh, they, he was, you know, he was her ex and, they, and he left. Wow. I recently thought, how do you stage a fake relationship for the benefit of your ex if he's not there? <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I was going to do it all on social media because I had this real thing that it, we live in such a good time for the fake dating trope because imagine all the fakeroo Instagrams you can do clinking champagne flutes and all the rest yeah. of it. Very quickly, having set off, I realised, oh, uh, it's actually really boring to read descriptions of photos that you yourself are not looking at so if you notice and if I never met you they have the second date and it's very I I, I kind of hastily go and now everyone believes they're dating and that's fine and now it's all going to take place <laughs> offline and so I think I think I'm better at when I hit a snag like that I think I'm better at going right okay calm down your idea isn't sunk uh you need to work out what's gone wrong here and Just I have a another dinner. shortcut
1: another word
2: yeah room. you're not yeah. you're not on the
0: you're not on the rail replacement bus you can that's
2: not on <laughs> That's it. And I and I have a thing that you know you know that they like to have that ongoing argument. Is writer's block real? I think it's entirely real. I'm always surprised at the the kind of hard asses who go, It's not real, get back to the laptop. It's like, no, it is real. The times when yeah. I can't I can't work out what to do. Um, But I always think that writer's block is actually your subconscious telling you there's a problem. I think that the way to do it is to take your hands off the keyboard and think what is going wrong in the story that I don't feel I can write this next bit. Because if you
1: can't move forward with it, like something, there must be something back there that needs a lot of
2: Exactly, and um, it's like um, I remember one writer saying uh, it was kind of hired to do kind of script punch-ups. He said, "Whenever they ask me what the problem is, I always say the problem with your act three is your act one." It's like you've almost always mm. made some choice back at back, yeah. yeah. So yeah, in terms of the process, so it's not changed that much, but I'm probably more pragmatic when I encounter a problem now, and I'm probably more willing to admit there's a problem, whereas before I would sort of plow on in sheer terror. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah. is it is it um is it weird for you now to be like a full-time author in this you know cycle of bringing out books every year and like this is your yeah. job now
2: it is do you know it is weird um I've had a lot of time to get used to it so this year is the 10th year that I've been lucky enough to be a full-time author so I've had time to get used to it but yeah I always say to my other half that I keep thinking there's going to be this moment where we're on holiday, which is ironic given that we're not very good at going on holiday. And, we're on <laughs> and we'll have a glass of rosé wine and we'll be on a balcony and I'll be looking at some ocean view and I'll go, oh, I did it, I did it, I'm a writer, can you believe it? And the, the moment has never arrived, and um, which which sounds depressing. I don't mean it sounds depressing at all, but uh, it's just like, yeah, the kind of moment of like, oh, this is really real. And I remember my, um, my editors coming up to take me out for lunch, uh, I think around the third book. And I remember one of them asking the question, "When did you know that you could write novels?" And I said to her, "I don't know that I can write novels. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really bad thing to say to someone <laughs> like who's giving you offers to write novels, but you genuinely you don't you don't ever achieve this kind of wonderful uh, Zen state of I can now do this job. You do. I don't. I think imposter syndrome is a bit." overused as a phrase to be honest I think that you know yeah. I don't feel like an imposter exactly but um I never ever feel complacent and I always think the next one's going to be an absolute disaster every time <laughs> <laughs> but you probably have to live in that state in order to work up the kind of enthusiasm and excitement and kind of be you know match ready do you know what I mean I think if I was Saturday yeah. well, this, this is an absolute piece of piss at this point <laughs> and, uh, perhaps the book wouldn't be so great <laughs> yeah I
1: think if you are convinced that like the next one would be a bestseller no matter what or whatever like it probably would be not very good so i think that's right but it's funny to say that you don't feel like a writer with eight books on bookshelves
2: (laughs) well stephen king stephen king is i don't know if you've read on writing but it is one of the the writers superb but i remember he says at one point can you pay your gas bill if you can pay your gas bill um then you're talented because you you made, you made that money from writing, and there's a, there's a certain brute point to that. It's like at the end of the day, you are a storyteller, and if people want to hear yeah. your stories, then you have succeeded at that level. And everything else is sort of you know it, it's for other people to judge how good you are at it. But at that, you've you've, you've reached a base level. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Are you putting writer on your tax return? Yeah. Then yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so something that I personally love about your novels, I've always felt they were just brilliantly British. Um, and that was, you know, before I moved over there. Um, because clearly It's a quality words,
1: she really likes. So <laughs> <was when laughs> it's when really good. Awesome, yeah, <laughs>
0: I love that. Um, and you know, not gonna lie, it's probably why I was so obsessed with your books, apart from the fact <laughs> that they're really good. Like the Britishness really added yeah. bonus points. Um I don't read much American fiction <laughs> for this reason. Um, but then I moved to England and we lived in Chesterfield, near Sheffield. And I used to go to Nottingham every week. And I realised, like, oh, all your books are set in northern places. So Sheffield, yes. Nottingham, Manchester, Newcastle. We've got Leeds in this book as well. Yeah. Why do you always set your books in the north?
2: Well. I'm doing a good job of demystifying uh, here. Um, I mean,
0: apart from the fact that it is the superior place to live. the
2: superior bit. Well, Manchester, for a very simple reason, I've been to university there. I had the idea for What If You Met. I, I loved university. It was kind of where I became myself, really. And I remember the whole idea of You Have Me Hello came from me thinking one day, that's such a incredible period of my life. And I thought, what if? What if you met the love of your life at university, and that? I, I just thought, how potent would that be if it was mixed up with those years? um So there was never any question. I, and I love Manchester. I do, I am so obsessed with that city, and I think that it's a really romantic city. Which, <laughs> honestly you wouldn't believe how much my parents laugh at me for that.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that is a funny. I think it's really romantic. I think like. Paris. <laughs>
2: Edinburgh. No, no. For me, yeah, it's not just every time. It's something about that. I I even find rain romantic. So <laughs> me too. <laughs> I mean, oh my god! You're yeah, yeah. going yeah. to the funeral, right? Um, yeah. Rain is romantic. <laughs>
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, (laughs) Mr. Darcy,
2: yes. (laughs) Mr. Darcy in the rain, exactly, exactly. So it was always going to be Manchester. And also I had this big thing that I, you know, I was trying to mission statement, this is not, you know, you're not going to be place icing cupcakes in a bakery is not going to happen in this book. So that has to be Manchester. (laughs) Um, And ironically, the second book was in London because the job I'd conceived for the heroine really did have to take place in London. So sometimes there are practicalities involved um and then it's not me. to Newcastle because I love Newcastle um but this right this is really demystifying things if I'm particularly stressed that I'm not going to do a good job I take the whole issue of the location out of it by setting it in, in Nottingham where I live because I know there is zero research to do so I was having a right wobble when I was um setting out on writing who's that girl and so I thought, Nottingham, I'm just going to have a comeback to Nottingham. And you, you'll notice I returned for last night because I was having another wobble. <laughs> so yes. that is the truth of the author. I do like, I like the challenge of taking places that people don't think of as glamorous and, and putting a, a glamorous rom-com into it. It's that tension in my books that I've developed, isn't it, that... Yes, it's kind of this sort of romance, this wonderful glamorous romance. But at the same time, it feels like it's happening in a bar around the corner from where you live. Like you feel like you yeah. can. Like, that's such a lovely thing that readers say to me. I feel like this could have happened to me. I feel like this could have been happened to a friend. Um, so it very much suits that. So that's why there's no New York there's no dublin there's not glamorous expensive bits of london it's like it would i would kind of lose part of the tension and the magic of, of my stories i think
1: oh i love that why does it make it like somehow realistic just because they're not in london like not just oh, because no. but like because they're not in london or not in new york in their giant apartment that they can somehow afford even their like in magic- yeah. you know in like
0: yeah. <laughs> they're just living yeah. in a terrace house in you know a crappy flat it or
1: whatever it? like yeah, yeah it's just I'm... well like I
0: have to move into a crap flat share out of the, out of the fancy part of down it wasn't <laughs> a crap flat share though
2: it sounded pretty damn nice <laughs> it's hard I mean on, on another practical level to be perfectly honest it's harder to say fresh things about New York or London you know can, yeah, can they, sp- so they push you when Helen Fielding got their way before you that yeah. you know it's yeah and all those kind of name check places they're so well known uh you know whereas I know I can set some in Nottingham and I've got you know I've got the, the playing field to myself <laughs> so.
0: So I, I just love the idea of bringing the glamour back to the north as well like
1: yeah. I
2: just,
0: and there's so many characters too like you said those the, the the bit that you know caught your eye of those girls outside in their curlers smoking yeah. and, and the fact that that takes place in Manchester in the book I believe you yes. know it's, it's such a thing I can imagine happening in Manchester as well and like there's it's just There's so many characters and it's not that they're not in London, but there's just something about the North of England that I just love
2: it. I love it. Yeah part of my obsession with Manchester as well, and this is true of um, Liverpool as well, that um, when the girls go out as well, they go all out. There's no trying to be cool. There's no dressing down. There's everything. There's the lashes and the hair and the, and they're so funny, like Northern women. I'm I'm, I'm now dealing with stereotypes, but it is true. They are so funny. Oh, I
0: love that. Um, So, a i sleepy, literally yeah. would yeah i literally would read your grocery list um and i love the last question um
1: yeah.
0: and i don't think it's I'd, i always don't think it's fair to ask you when you've just got a book coming out what are you working on next but like can you give us any can sort of sneak idea
2: <laughs> well we you don't have you to got, but you like you've got, you got an exclusive because you're the first uh people to ask me this question so <laughs> Um, I can can exclusively reveal and and try to conceal your shock. It's set in Manchester. (laughs) There is a a reason for this, right? You know, we're talking about practicalities. The, um, The evil ex in the next book is a screenwriter who's had a really big hit with a TV show. And realistically, mm-hmm. if you're going to uh, be that person in England, yep. you either live in London or Manchester, you don't yes. really live anywhere else. And I didn't want to do a London book, so yes, they're in Manchester. In and Manchester, yes. they're, 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 he's made quite a lot of money, so they're in a, a fancy bit called Didsbury. And I will give you I'll give you the overall themes, um, not least because I haven't got the plot fully worked out yet. <But laughs> it is, it's about chronic infidelity and gaslighting and discovering that somebody was not who you thought they were and your entire relationship is not who you thought they were and i also use something i've been wanting to use for a while and i actually do use it for a moment in mad about you but there's more to go at uh being caught out via synced devices (gasps) i've got got numerous friends who have caught somebody out via a synced device
1: (laughs) that sounds juicy do
2: you know what weird things, though, is you're constantly, well, constantly, you are quite regularly your as a romantic comedy author. Um, haven't, hasn't modern technology ruined the rom-com, which just completely confuses No, there's
1: but so many so... new things now. Sync devices online. dating. Yeah. so
2: much the more Because everyone knows what everyone else is thinking or doing. And I'm like, no, they know yeah, they what don't. they want them to think they're thinking <laughs> yeah. or doing. It's like the invention of the telephone didn't suddenly, it wasn't a truth serum, was it? Everyone didn't start telling some <laughs> of the truth. And I now think the ways that you can find out about cheating, for example, are now oh. so juicy. And I've, I've used this quite a few times because i don't know if you remember but in who's that girl this again came from something that happened to a friend there's a bit where elliot's showing edie's phone and a message comes up on the screen and she can read it and that was a really useful plot device she's like what what have you said to your brother um, and, and that she happens it. in the, like
1: notification pop-up when you're showing but, to yeah. the nurse's screen is so nerve-wracking but like, also, happened, also
2: happened
0: also happened in mad about you as well with uh, yeah. a, a particular message that got sent because it would oh um, yes screen. i forgot
2: i'd use that thank you, Michelle. Yeah. I had- Love that! Thank you. Yeah, uh, this is so... one of the
0: reasons why, I mean, not because I'm cheating or anything, but I hate the idea of people being able to read my lock screen. So I have that setting on where it just says, like, who the message is from. It doesn't say the message.
2: I think, do you know what? As technology moves on, you have to work out, like, one of my bugbears in a plot is when someone has an unlocked phone and that pushes the plot forward. I'm like, no one has an unlocked phone. Only yeah. people no, over no 80 years phone. old They now. time out in, like,
1: 30 seconds. Like, no yeah. one has unlocked phone. only...
2: Only unlocked phone that
0: I've seen in literal years is our work one because we all just
2: use it. Everybody locks their phone. Who would not lock their phone? I think we're on borrowed time now for the uh, preview notification, which is what I've been getting away with, isn't it? Like (laughs) an awful lot of people would not have the the kind of first line of a message turn up on their home screen. Some people do, so I can still get away with it. But, yeah, borrowed time for that one. But it's really useful. Yeah, you're right.
1: That might totally go and then they'll have
2: to come up with something else yeah yeah Yeah. that moment in who's that girl a friend of mine went on a date and he was on the date and the woman he was with was like oh yeah look at this funny video or whatever it was on her phone and on it on the screen came up a message going well if it's that bad a date just go or something like that (laughs) as soon as i I heard that i thought right i'm gonna use this This that's that's
0: awful but also like I so can good. just imagine you being like, this is brilliant. I'm stealing that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to steal this for my book. Oh, my goodness. It has been such a pleasure to talk to you. Like, my honestly, life. such a highlight. Um, so where can people find and follow you online?
2: Oh, um, I am Fari McEff. On she has to think about it on Twitter, and I'm on Instagram. I am actually currently locked on Instagram, private account, but it's not actually private. I just need to work out, <laughs> I just need to get it sorted out. But anyway, you, um, you can obviously just click to follow on there anyway, and that's Barbara McKeith as well. So, yeah, wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. I'm sorry, I enjoyed myself so much. I've been quite unprofessional and given rambling answers. <laughs> oh my gosh, no,
1: we love rambling.